Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been combing through the email inbox as usual. Any gems, Caroline? Yeah, so there's one here from Robin picking up on the mention I made of the Anne of Green Gables books that I bought while on my holiday in oh, Scotland. Yeah. And they've said that I just had to recommend that you seek out the TV miniseries produced and originally aired on the CBC, which I think is the Canadian broadcasting company. It was a Canadian childhood staple in the 80s. Even though I claim to hate it, I still watched it every time it aired. Oh, that's so cute. Now, I think I might have seen this, or at least some of it, because I had a video back when VHS was how you got your TV from other countries that was about Anne of Green Gables. And it took some liberties with the books that mm. when I was eight, I was really angry Nerd about. Caroline would not enjoy. But maybe I need to go back to it and check it out. So thank you very much. I also spotted an email from Courtney Kessler, who said that she wanted to drop us a line to ask if we'd ever considered reviewing any K-pop or K-dramas. She says, it's something I discovered about two years ago, and I'm now completely engrossed and obsessed with Korean culture in general. I've noticed that these forms of Korean pop culture are gaining popularity around the world at an exponential rate and seems to really be finding footing in the Western world. K-pop bands have started touring in America, and more streaming services are offering K-dramas as part of their regular lineups. That being said, it's still often viewed as a joke. While there's obviously a level of ridiculousness in the Korean pop culture world, the industry is very self-aware of its own insanity. There's a lot to be discussed. It seems like there is a lot to be discussed. Yeah, Thanks, it sounds Courtney. really interesting. <laughs> I know that Amina from our favourite podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, is really into K-dramas. I've definitely seen her tweeting about it. I think there's quite a lot of them on American Netflix now. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds like something we could tap into. She's also given a really handy list of some like music videos that we can start off with. Ah, so we should excellent. definitely give that a try. One of them, she says here, GOT7 are often described as the Korean One Direction. I definitely need a new One Direction. Mm -hmm. uh, another nail in the coffin recently when Liam signed to Capitol Records. So looks like the One Direction dream is dead. So definitely going to check out GOT7. So thanks, Courtney. And there's a list of some dramas here that we can try too. So we'll excellent. hopefully get stuck into that soon. We also had a lovely email from Megan Lynch, who wanted to send us a recommendation. She says, I'd be curious to see what you think of an Australian series called Please Like Me. It's a drama series about a gay 20-something, and it handles a lot of material about coming out, mental health, suicide, and self-harm. But, in capital letters, big but, it's actually very funny, honestly. 
Episodes are about 25 minutes or so, so eminently digestible in what are your probably eternally combusting schedules. Thanks, Megan, for understanding. Yeah, that is true. I, that is true. I know we've mentioned this before, but there's, okay. there's so much TV in the world, I just can't watch it all. There's a lot. It's hard when you have to keep up with the mainstream to then be like, I'm also going to diverge from yeah. the mainstream. That's what I find difficult. So yeah, please like me. We'll definitely give that a watch as well. Thanks, yeah, Megan. But that's what listeners are so grateful. Like, I would never go watch Korean music videos or probably an Australian drama about mental health and sexuality if you guys didn't recommend it to us so thank you and please keep doing it at seriouslypod at gmail.com or you can submit on our Tumblr or our Facebook or our Twitter we're seriouslypod on all of them that was very professional I thought so So, on with the show. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about this week is New Blood, a BBC One police procedural set in London following two extremely handsome junior investigators, both the second generation immigrants in their early 20s, Arash Syad, who's played by Ben Tavasoli, working for the Met, and Stefan Kowalski, who's played by Mark Strepan, who works for the Serious Fraud Office. I love this very silly programme. What do you think of it, Caroline? I uh, absolutely adore it. I've not felt this rush of love for something on the surface so generic looking in a really, really long time. Yeah, I think that's what's really great about it. So it's written by Anthony Horowitz, who I'm sure a lot of listeners will be familiar with his work. So he wrote the Alex Ryder series, which I was a big fan of growing up. And he's done all sorts of sort of mystery things as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's one of those authors who's done a few of those rewrites of classic fiction. So I think he's done a couple of the Bond novels. Yeah. Uh, He also did a he did a Sherlock Holmes one that was actually okay called Moriarty, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, he's definitely got form when it comes to writing in another genre or another voice and doing something slightly interesting with it, which is exactly what he's done here. Because yeah. I think if you saw a trailer for this program, maybe in one of those like 45 second interstitials between programs on BBC Two, you'd <laughs> be like, oh, well, yay, the BBC are doing yet another drama about detectives set in London. Yawn, I've seen Luther already. Let's listen to prove that point. Why did you want to be a policeman? I don't want to be a policeman. I want to be a detective. I work for the serious fraud office. If you tell my bosses I told you anything, I'll get killed. Sorry. We've scanned over 10,000 documents, spent God knows how many man hours, and think I'm going to risk it all for your Batman and Robin antics. I agree. I think you could easily describe this in purely plot-based terms and come up with something that's been done before, basically. But what I really liked about this show is the setting and the lives of our lead detectives, investigators, whatever you want to call them. There's something very authentic about it, even as it mocks itself. So they're millennials living in London. They're obsessed with trying to get a flat. They cycle everywhere. They're constantly on the verge of being fired. There's just this whole sort of world of urban, young, professional concerns that I think Anthony Horowitz really nails in this. Yes, it's also a London that I totally recognise. It's the London that I live in. Mm, definitely. You know, it's a it's a London that's completely diverse. It's a London that is incredibly au fait with technology. Mm-hmm. So without any like stupid graphics of people cracking phones and stuff... Rash often gets clues from people's phones. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of dragging files from the desktop yeah. onto a USB stick in this program. <laughs> exactly, but that's kind of what office computers are like. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just and and stuff like Rash and Stefan for fun. They do cycling 
races and things mm-hmm. like that they'll do like a just a cycle the two of them and then they'll like sit by the south bank with their bikes propped up and like share a bottle of water clearly you can tell that probably if they had more money they would have gone and bought some beers but they don't so they're just sharing the water yeah stuff in this like when they're looking for flats they have viewings set up in stratford mm. you know these aren't people who are going to move into like shoreditch or Mayfair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where and it's it's you know, it's a bit like in Luther, you know that Luther lives in the East End, but he's like a proper East End person. He's not like, for example, living in the Barbican. Yeah. Like Alice is. I like that it feels authentic in that way. And you also get all the villains in this programme sitting in their ridiculous glass walled either flats or offices, you know, in ridiculous areas of the city and central London and that sort of horrible envy you get as a as a real life Londoner looking at these sort of ridiculous situations actually bleeds into the program and it's meant to you know they play with that expectation of its audience yeah you you wrote a really good piece about this the whole program is obsessed with property which Mm. is totally accurate because London is obsessed with property yeah because I was I was quoting a bit in that piece from a really good piece in in the radio times um, which was a review of the first episode and the reviewer Hugh Fullerton is just it's like as I was watching the program I started to realize everything was about the property market and that's exactly how you feel watching this and the only thing that stops that being ridiculous and a complete joke is when you do live in London as a young person without very much money you are constantly thinking about property everywhere I go in London I'm just staring at buildings yeah right thinking oh I'll never live there or maybe I could live there or I'd love to live there wonder what they what they pay exactly I wonder what the lease is on that and it's in every level of this so it's in their personal lives because they're looking for places to look and they they're always having discussions Stefan's always like oh there's no point renting we should try and buy somewhere we can't afford to buy anywhere oh what are we gonna do you know mm. it's in their personal lives it's in their professional lives because they are investigating people who stash their money in big skyscrapers and stuff like that it's even in the action like there's a bit in the climax of the first case because this program structured i think around three cases and mm-hmm. each of them is two or three episodes mm-hmm. in the climax of the first case where they jump off a high-rise yeah. building into, into a, a swimming, swimming pool, pool. <laughs> you know so even there like the buildings are in everything yeah and that landscape becomes part of like the villainry of the mm. city the idea that there are these gorgeous apartments with swimming pools where all these crooks are basically cheating london's genuine working population out of a lifestyle that will never be on offer to them and that's one of the really great things about this program as well is that i i like as you know a bit of a trot i like to watch a program where the villain is basically the system yeah at all times <laughs> and also capitalism <laughs> yeah like, exactly um, it's def- either corrupt governments or big capitalist organizations yeah. and like in the first case it's big pharma mm-hmm. you know that um, a popular villain of the left <laughs> definitely and i think it also taps into some of the isolation of living in a city and mm. feeling like you're struggling and like you're never going to be able to for example move out of your mum's house or all of those things are really explored it's never about just capturing that one villain it's there's always a bigger picture involved which is why they've, yeah. they've chosen a guy from the serious fraud office i'm really interested in the the fact that they've included the serious fraud office as mm-hmm. one of the two great bodies in the show Mm -hmm. because i feel like the serious fraud office is not something that makes a huge amount of news most of the time and that's clearly deliberate they investigate things 
quietly and in an independent fashion from government in order to try and spot exactly the sort of systemic abuses that this program is is about but Anna Chancellor is the head of the series board <laughs> she's in this program and I love her yeah. um R.A.P. the hour in which she was incredible Aww. uh and she has lots of really interesting scenes where she's, you know, meeting with politicians. And there's a really good one in the beginning of the second case where she meets with this politician who I think is totally shady. Uh, and they start having like a full on debate about yeah. like high rise and the ethics yes. of high rise properties in London. But also there's a bit where he's like, oh, well, we could have gone for lunch. And she's like, you know, we don't do lunch at the serious broad office. Yeah. And she's basically saying like, I'm not accepting a free meal from you because that's not what we're about. Yeah. Which is really interesting, and I would like to see, I think, especially, I feel like at the moment, this is partly influenced by what's going on in America, but it very much is happening here as well. People are growing more distrustful of the police Mm. and the government. And I think it would be nice if if this program is renewed for later seasons to see some of that tension come up in Rash and Stefan's professional lives, to see whether they have any problems working within their own systems. I think we have seen a bit of that, particularly with Rash already, where we learn that he's a trainee detective constable, but he's already had at least one other trainee placement where he kind of got fired Mm -hmm. for being a smartass, really, and contradicting his superior. Mm -hmm. And we've seen him do that already in his new placement, and it's not that he's being a total ass. It's just that he questions everything and he looks at every piece of evidence mm-hmm. where his superiors are more inclined to be to jump to the simplest possible explanation or the thing that requires them to do the least investigative work or something. So he's the guy who's always like, oh, but actually I found this at the crime scene. Oh, but actually, why would he do that? Yeah, he's and, quite provocative of authority as yeah. well, isn't he? He's not really interested in just doing what he's told. But I feel like so far, the way we've seen that is in him. It also, he makes a lot of mistakes and, mm. and we do see that because he's a bit reckless. He'll do things like bring his mate from the serious fraud office onto secure crime scenes and like yeah. just think that that's okay. And so he does a lot of stuff like that where actually you can, you can see what, why his bosses might side a certain way. I'd like to see him put in a position where he's told like not to prosecute someone or something yeah. and see how he would deal with or that. Or even, it would be really interesting if he himself experiences discrimination mm-hmm. in the police because the Met historically has a huge problem with race among officers mm-hmm. as well as among victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be really interesting to see him like not get a promotion or be taken off a case because yeah. of who he is. But we should mention briefly the the kind of immigration angle. Yeah, so they're both second generation immigrant families, aren't they? So Rash lives with his sister and his mum it, I can't remember exactly where in London, but sort of, it's sort of on, on the fringes. Of, mm. It's not in central London. Um, whereas Stefan lives with a group of first generation, it's implied Polish immigrants yeah. who all like have a sort of shitty flat share. Stefan uses the fact that he speaks fluent Polish to his advantage a lot and is able to get in with all the sort of immigrant workers on building sites, all the sort of builders in private office buildings. You know, he's able to infiltrate systems through this sort of like network of immigrant yeah, workers. It's, it's like Sherlock Holmes's network of um, homeless boys. He yeah. his, the Baker Street Irregulars, he called them, you know, because no one would look at a urchin on the corner so he could use them to follow people and watch stuff. Mm-hmm. And the Polish like immigrants that. in this program are very much treated as expendable by mm. higher powers. And like, it doesn't matter if they're injured or even killed in, in their work. 
And uh, yeah, I really like, I think that's quite a cool way of punching up. And he uses it himself as well when he goes undercover. Sometimes he'll... He like, fakes a Polish he fakes, accent. He fakes yeah. a strong Polish accent. Uh, and, and then no one suspects him of anything. And then th- everyone thinks he's stupid and doesn't suspect him of anything, which yeah. is really revealing of other characters' prejudices. So it's a really good tool. And it also makes you realise, you know, there's obviously the immigration debate comes up again and again. In London, I think people are broadly quite pro-immigration mm, oh, because yeah. they see how it contributes to the daily life and the running of their city. And I, this is a programme that's quite good at doing that. You see over and over again, there's a great line where one um, Polish builder says, you know, do you know how hard we work and how little we earn? And I think there's just a real sense in this programme that the privileged few are propped up by mm. these these kinds of individuals. And I, I really like that. I think it's, I think, you know, a lot of people have said that all these things, all these sort of quote marks issues are overdone by this programme. But I think that it's, that humour is quite good. It's quite a good way of dealing with it. It's not doing it in a po-faced way at mm-hmm. all. It is funny. It is taking... It does it with a little smile yeah. on its face, a little bit of self-awareness. And in a way, that's sort of how people talk about these issues in mm. London in real life anyway. So it ends up being a bit more authentic. I don't know. Yeah. But either way, it's an absolutely brilliant watch. Cause Stonking it's show. Really funny really sort of suspenseful actually at times the cases are interesting it has some really great actors in it so yeah you have to take some of the plots with a pinch of salt as you do in any crime any detective like life on mars wasn't exactly it wouldn't be the same would it it wouldn't be as fun if it was all super you know serious and realistic yeah i'm sure a real life stefan does a lot more paperwork (laughs) yeah than tv (laughs) i don't want to see it but i really don't want to watch him like filling out forms and stuff so yeah but i do want to watch him pretending to be an mp's driver and like doing secret snooping it's very and good. sometimes shirtless so sometimes shirtless <laughs> yeah just as a final point let's just say uh, this program's quite easy on the eye yeah very easy on the eye so <laughs> give it a hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
So the next thing we're going to talk about this week is Ab Fab, the movie of the TV show starring Joanna Lumley and Jennifer Saunders as two saturated with alcohol, toddling around, fashion obsessed women that live in a very nice house in West London. And the movie, basically the plot revolves around the idea that they accidentally murder Kate Moss in the opening sequences. <laughs> so yeah, spoiler alert, if you're a huge fan of Kate Moss and don't want to see her tumble into a river, don't go see this movie. <laughs> Hi, darling. No, I'm working from Nobu this week. You don't know this, and I don't know this, but Kate Moss is changing her PR. You've got to get her. Kate Moss, darling. We're joined by Barbara Speed. Fans of the podcast will know Barbara. She's appeared a few times and it's her last day at the New Statesman today, which is very sad. Well, this will come out after I've left, so like beyond the grave. Yeah, Ghost Barbara. Yeah. So Barbara, we'll start with you. Did you watch the original Ab Fab TV series? Presumably not at the time, as you would have been very young. Yeah, (laughs) it's a bit too rude. Um, But yeah, I've definitely been a big fan for ages. They are quite different. I think fans of the series will really enjoy the film, but it's kind of almost like a fanfic of the TV show. That's quite a good Um, description plot-wise, because the plot is like crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and it really just explodes out everything from the series in the first place. I think maybe the slight problem with that is that the characters are so outrageous and so kind of despicable in this really likeable way. In the series, that's very contained, so a lot of it plays out in Eddie, who is Jennifer Saunders' character's kind of basement kitchen, and mm-hmm. so Patsy, who is Joanna Lumley, will kind of come like swarming down the stairs, <laughs> and Eddie's very stoic, angry daughter will just look at them in horror. Whereas in the film, they have this huge, beautiful house, and they travel the world, and it's slightly jarring almost that it's outside of this very specific world that the series happened in. Mm. Yeah, it is very noticeably a TV series that's now got movie money. Yeah. In that sense, like there are super yachts. Is it, is it the South same house? I thought it could have been the same house. No, it's not. Oh. It's not the same house. And also, it's actually, got the one... same layout downstairs. Hasn't yeah. It? One of my favourite jokes from the whole film was when Eddie was coming down the stairs into this like dugout basement kitchen. And she was complaining that it was taking her a really long time to come down the stairs and she was tired. And her daughter Sappy just goes, well, that's because you dug down into Middle Earth. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really spot on moment of satire for the like West London trend of excavating your house. Yeah, and the pool they have down there and everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's all ridiculous. I think, though, the plot of the sitcom sometimes was quite outrageous and silly. Mm. Like, I think immediately of one of my favourite episodes, which is the one where Safi goes to prison and is then released from prison and accidentally sort of brings home this, like, serious criminal who starts threatening everyone in the house and it just gets so absurd by the end of the episode. that Lots of the plots sort of worked in that really farcical way, didn't they? But I think the fact that they happened on what was almost a stage set made them... As a contrast. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know, it somehow worked better slightly within that frame. The TV series almost never had any external locations, did it? It mostly happened in the house. It was very much a sitcom in that sense, whereas this, we're constantly seeing Eddie and Patsy swanning around on the beach in Cannes and in fancy hotels Mm. or, you know, like the party you referenced where the great Kate Moss incident occurs there's lots of like on the red carpet outside that and then on the balcony outside the party and stuff surrounded by celebs yeah and I guess a lot of the joke in the TV series is they're 
actually living wildly outside of their means and they don't yeah. they actually don't have the life of the super rich that they wish they had this movie does do one of the things that like all programs sort of vaguely about fashion do after they start to get a name for themselves which is has loads of random fashion people in it it's like the sex in the city tv series oh, did yeah. that didn't it and gossip girl used to have random people like alexa chung appearing i don't know whether this was intentional or not but like the caliber of the celebrity that they had in it really sort of demonstrated that eddie and patsy were still a little bit out of touch like i love the dream sequence where eddie's wildest dream as like a pr is that she's surrounded by like alexa chung nick Grimshaw and like you know yeah Lily Cole and Daisy Lowe like all these sort of actually early noughties British celebrities who are slightly irrelevant now and are mostly doing other things and are kind of outside the world of fashion exactly and that's her like absolute fantasy and like someone said who do you want here like we've got Kendall Jenner we've got and they're like no we need Kate Moss and you're like you would much rather have Kendall Jenner at your fashion party these days than Kate Moss well this is the I think the brilliant free song of the whole thing is that you sort of can't tell whether that's the joke or whether Jennifer Saunders does (laughs) still think those people (laughs) are the thing I'd like to stick up for her only in that without revealing any of the plot I think it becomes slightly clear that Kate Moss is a bit past it and Mm -hmm. in a weird kind of way she's more like them Mm. and she is also a product of those kind of crazy materialistic 90s just like Eddie and Patsy are which is a slightly kind of nice element of it definitely and you sort of actually by the end you're like maybe they do sort of work as a PR client pairing any major highlights for either of you what was the best bit of the movie for you guys I think probably the best set piece was the red carpet thing outside the fashion party. With John Hamm. With John Hamm. Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall talking about Chanel constantly. (laughs) I always think of that that Dead Ringers sketch that just went, Jerry Hall. And then it would be like the longest shot in the world going up these legs that just keep going and keep going and keep going for about like two minutes. And then the end of the shot would be, is very tall. And it got (laughs) to her head. (laughs) Yeah, so she was really funny. And just generally kind of red carpet manoeuvring by loads of people you recognise. It's kind of cameo-tastic, this film, so, mm-hmm. and that was the, the nexus of that. But then also, honourable mention to Safi's style, which I never really noticed when I was watching the TV series. <laughs> but now, every time she was on shot, I was like, I would wear that. Mm. And if you don't know what she looks like, she's the frumpy one <laughs> on this quite fashion-obsessed programme, but she has a really good line in, like, high-waisted trousers and cardigans, which is very much my thing. Yeah, trust you to notice that. <laughs> Um, I think my highlights were actually both very near the beginning of the film so I absolutely loved the two first scenes where Eddie and Patsy appear together one of which is them literally stumbling into a fashion show and then trying to go to this party everyone's ignoring them they're just like grabbing champagne and they're just still having like the best time at one point Patsy like accidentally walks a bit of the runway because she gets like caught up in the flow yeah yeah I think I saw a great review that it was just like Eddie galumphing among the gazelles (laughs) on the catwalk which is so accurate Um, and then also kind of shortly after just the two of them in Eddie's house kind of trying to get ready oh, this is my favourite too I and love this I one. just love it and she's just like I look rubbish and then Patsy's like I'll be your mirror you look fantastic <laughs> it's like she did she like I think I am now officially fatter sideways than I am front on no you don't need those I am your mirror how do I look fabulous thank you and you're like this is the best thing ever because yeah. girls do genuinely do that for each other before nights out it was so funny and kind of what those both those scenes kind of show is like obviously they get very caught up in the idea they're past it but in a way as long as they've got each other they actually don't care or notice that everyone is laughing actually, at them that was yeah. a really touching moment when 
Eddie's granddaughter, Lola, because she kind of goes on the run with them at one point. And I think they've been enumerating like all of the terrible things that have happened to them. And Eddie's listing all the people that have left her, like abandoned her. And Lola looks at Patsy and she's like, why do you stay? And Patsy just goes, because it's bloody good fun, of course. <laughs> so great. I love, I think it was around the same point in the movie, the, the like drugs montage where they're like getting high and they're like trying to like work a bong that is just like, oh, it's, it's just so funny and silly. You can really see precedent for programs like Broad City and mm. things like Trainwreck and, you know, that whole sort of line of like frat boy influenced female driven comedy. This must have been so revolutionary when it came out. Just these women absolutely just so messy, so irresponsible, yeah. so ridiculous, so over the top. Yeah, well, I remember because I'm slightly old, older than you guys. I did watch some of the original series. I think I caught the very end of it being aired for the first time. And I remember like at least once an episode, Adina used to fall backwards out of a cab <laughs> like, yeah. and her skirt would go up or she would just look insane. And I used to just think this was the best thing ever. Mm. And she'd always be trying to hide from her own daughter. Um, <laughs> My mum yeah. used to call me Safi growing up. She had a sort of a group of friends that used to have a book club. There were no books involved, just a lot of wine. And I used to always try and be like helping them get into their cars at the end of the night, like rolling my eyes. Mum would be like, Safi, no, darling, Safi, come on. Give me a break, darling. I found this piece, I think from 2002, so I think it was just before the last series came out which was just kind of about what all of their rule breaking sort of meant. And they had a really good line in it, which was just how women would misbehave if it had nothing to do with men, Mm. which is actually a really good point that you feel like, oh, there's always stuff about women being a bit cheeky, but it's always like, oh, she's being a bit too slutty or she's like dressing up like this. And whereas this is, it's just women doing exactly what they want. And it kind of draws this comparison with Bridget Jones, where Bridget Jones is like us, it's like women sharing our things that aren't so great about us or that are kind of a bit more honest and kind of being like, oh, it's great. Everyone's like that. And then Eddie and Patsy just push it to this absolutely <laughs> ludicrous level but it is almost in, in the same lines and also unlike Bridget Jones they just kind of don't care even when there are romantic plot lines it's always done in the most like ridiculous way that it's not even vaguely meant to be a comment on women's actual dating lives mm. that's so great that it can it can just be a show about two women who are like really good friends who are really irresponsible and there are barely any men yeah. anywhere yeah in, and in this movie as well the, the cast is just so female driven which was really cool and if, when occasionally like there are leading men in it like John Hamm is a really good example he's just played for laughs yeah, yeah. he's just there for Joanna Lovely to say funny things <laughs> he's too. basically yeah. the sex prop as well isn't he he's just like a handsome celebrity in the yeah. background but we should mention the slightly jarring note in this film as well which was it had a I don't know what you call it like a slightly gratuitous focus on jokes about trans people yeah there was a couple of them which i thought were sort of just within the bounds of acceptability and then in a bizarre airplane cameo by rebel wilson as an air hostess she complains about how annoying it is that you have to be nice to trans people these days the joke being that she was saying that about patsy because she thought patsy was a trans man when actually Patsy's just a cis woman. It just seemed very unnecessary. Yeah, and it just came up several times. And then also the means by which Eddie and Patsy escape from their dire situation is that Patsy like marries this incredibly rich woman by pretending to be a man. Which harks back to the show, right? There was some references in the show before to like this idea that Patsy lived several years of her life as a man, yeah. right? Because I think what's quite odd about the film is a lot of the jokes are kind of okay and then some are wildly not okay. Mm. It's almost as though there's like two different script writers. Mm. Although I think if you watch the show now, a bit of it, you'd be like, oh, it was actually ahead of its time in caring about these topics in 
been talking about these topics. Mm-hmm. And I think Joanna Lumley did an interview where she was like, well, in our show, it didn't matter if you were gay, it didn't matter if this person did this, everyone was just doing whatever. Mm. And they kind of let that down a bit, really. The storyline you mentioned, Caroline, does resolve itself in quite a fun way, yeah, which no, I won't does, give away, yeah. and it kind of forgives itself, but you kind of think, how could you have been such a leader on this yeah. and then be a bit sloppy with mm. how you've done it in the film? As a side note, I do think that Joanna Lumley in drag and Bill Nye might actually be the same person. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was striking. Oh, speaking of drag, actually, I wanted to mention the amazing scene in the Vauxhall Tavern. where. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that and being like, I know where that is. Yeah, where Safi goes looking for Eddie and Patsy and her daughter. Um, and she ends up in the Vauxhall Tavern, which is like a famous sort of gay and queer pub. And they have a very famous drag night. And she is there on drag night and there are all these like amazing drag queens everywhere and she ends mm. up singing a really really sad song for them and they all weep yeah <laughs> lovely but also i mean again if, if like people who are interested in drag there are some really really big drag names in there so mm, it's like yeah, this yeah. cameo thing extended to this community in this really brilliant way and then they still kind of mess it up as well but i mean again this is a sign that there was really good stuff in it as well so overall worth going to see you would be mystified if you hadn't seen the original series yeah, i think true, yeah. presumably our ultimate recommendation is go on netflix and watch ab fab yep. the tv show seriously listeners get on it no man alive will come to you with another tale to tell but you know that we shall meet again if your memory serves you Last time, I recommended that Anna watch the film Bewitched, which is a 2005 movie written and directed by Nora Ephron, which was based on the 1960s TV series of the same name, which I'm sure lots of people remember, but just in case you don't, it was about a witch who marries a mortal and tries to settle down to an American suburban life. Mm. In this particular version, Will Ferrell plays a struggling Hollywood actor who was starring in a movie adaptation of the show, playing opposite Nicole Kidman as the real witch who accidentally gets cast to play a witch in the film. (laughs) It's quite hard to explain as yeah, I've just it's very it's a weird meta you know show within a film plot isn't it yeah so Anna what did you make of it I thought it was like high key ridiculous but like very sweet I think you can see Nora Ephron's involvement in this it feels very much like a program that is just written by someone who loves the movies and loves TV yeah. like in a really sincere way it so was that- a real passion project for her I think because not only did she write the screenplay and direct it she was also I think the sole producer of it yeah <laughs> it's really really sweet <laughs> there are even like scenes in this which are just Will Ferrell and uh, Nicole Kidman watching old episodes and laughing yeah of bewitched that genuine sort of love and nostalgia for a project like that just comes through so clearly which is really really sweet nicole kidman was i thought really good in this she like does this weird like high register voice that i Mm. found quite like grating at the start and was quite like oh don't know if i like this but obviously it, it her character like is genuinely quite naive and like confused sometimes which is i mean she's she's got a whole she's got a lot of strength and she's often underestimated and she uses that to her advantage but because she has like not really lived a normal human life she doesn't really get like the acting and stuff like that at the beginning her sort of arc is that she's decided that she's renouncing yeah the magical life and she's moving 
to a normal house to be a normal person and she's not going to do any magic in the same way that at the end of matilda matilda's like she never did any magic again and then she makes a book move she was never really serious about giving it up i don't think yeah exactly but she tells her father who's played by michael Caine, and who is my favorite character do you think so i I love him (laughs) i think he's so funny (laughs) yeah i i I love to hate him obviously he's absurd yeah yeah i just felt like I felt like Michael Caine was phoning it in for this performance. Yeah, he was a bit. He, <laughs> he was just doing... looked dead behind the eyes the entire time. <laughs> he was doing like a Michael Caine voice and wearing a double-breasted suit, which are... Just being like, hello, I'm your father, Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so funny, especially given that, you know, the whole thing's set in like LA movie world and then just Michael Caine appears because he's, he's her dad, he's also magic. He... He likes to try and surprise her in funny ways with fatherly advice. So, like, at one point she's in the supermarket and he keeps appearing on the packets of all the things yeah, that she's buying. Yeah, it's very weird. So he's, like, the green giant on some sweet corn yeah. and the fisherman on some fish fingers. And yeah. for some reason it just cracks me up every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. I found the laughs, like, so hit and miss in this like there would be some things that i would like genuinely laugh at and other things i'd be like what is, what is this decision this is a very odd decision i really enjoyed will ferrell i'm i'm like actually really love will ferrell mm. in a very guilty way as i think i said last week i really liked it when he was playing the actor mid-scene so like there's a scene where it's you know the remake of the tv show and they're doing the she reveals that she's a witch moment and will ferrell's doing this like really terrible like hammy like you've been a witch this whole time and you didn't tell me and then like collapses on the bed in a stroppy teenage way which he also does at other points in the film like just as his character mm. in the film but that, that i mean for me those are like some big laughs <laughs> i love those yeah and i really love that as well and i really loved all of i just loved all of the magical bits mm-hmm. i think they actually the use of magic in it was quite good so i really love the sort of 50s nostalgia i like the sort of sets like for example, even little touches like Will Ferrell's character has a big house party. He's got all these lights up in his garden and in his pool and stuff. And there are these big 50s star-shaped lights in his house oh, that yeah. look like the stars from the Bewitched titles. There are lots of little things like that going on in this film. You can just tell that there's a lot of love for the original show like popping up in all these little aesthetic choices. Yeah, sadly, this film was a both a critical and commercial failure. Yeah. <laughs> it was not popular. It was generally panned. I think I might be the only person who still likes it. Yeah, I can see why. As, as I said, it, it would just be like the world's most formulaic <laughs> yes. rom-com without those other elements. It was those other elements that seemed interesting to me in the bits I like. There's a very like weird crap performance from Steve Carell in this film yeah. as well. I love Steve Carell, but his performance was really bad. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder though, because I mean, Catherine Heigl has been churning out crap rom-coms for ages, mm-hmm. which... Obviously, no one cares if they're a critical success, but Mm -hmm. they do quite well at the box office or whatever. But I feel like because this was Nora Ephron and it was her taking on like a much loved American TV show and doing something new with it, Mm -hmm. I think there were really high expectations of it. Uh, and then I didn't go in with high expectations. I think I think at the time when it came out, and then it really didn't meet them. So yeah. people were like, "Oh, it must be crap." Then that's true. I think or if I, I don't I'd... think it's rubbish. I just think it's middling. Yeah, I think maybe if I had gone in as like world's biggest Nora Ephron fan, exactly, looking forward to see what she's currently producing at the time. Yeah, it, I think I probably would have been disappointed as well. But I, yeah, it, it's good fun. Yeah, for me, it's like my comfort film. I can see why that would be. I yeah. watch it at times of trouble. Yeah. I would say it's probably good for that. It's good for for a day when you want to like lie in front of the TV and not really have to concentrate that hard, but also maybe see some good jokes and some like exactly. nice vibes. 
nice vibes rolling on to next week caroline i thought that i would recommend that you read some of the work of heather havrileski who is a writer and currently an agony aunt under the name polly for the cut and she's got a book out called how to be a person in the world which i'm reading at the moment and i thought we could chat a bit about some of her columns which uh, the book is basically a collection of her work from over the years so are you an agony aunt reader yeah i have read the odd one has been sent to me by other people but mm-hmm. i don't i don't have one where like i return to it every week and read it every week if you know yeah. what i mean where i'm like a fan of it our colleague stephanie when i had a breakup last year she sent me some really useful links to a, to a few that were relevant to my trouble, which definitely helped get me through. But yeah, that's the, probably, some of them are really good. Yeah. yeah, I so I read I read hers, and I read occasionally or used to read Cheryl Strayed and listen to her podcast. Oh, I have listened to her podcast actually, yeah. which I quite like. And then there was a phase the Guardian had Molly Ringwald doing mm. one and Alanis Morissette. So I feel like it's a real thing at the moment, which we'll discuss in more detail next week. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.